0: Okay, good morning. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, whether you're in person or on Zoom. And I think Sarah put a message out there. If you have any questions throughout the morning, feel free to type those into the chat on Zoom. Um, My name is Mickey Sandin, and I'm the project coordinator at Procurement. Just want to um, tell you who all is here today from Procurement, because we'll kind of have a different group each time. So we have Julie Hopp, and Julie Snyder and Jessica Meerhoff. they're all with the contracts team, so they're our, they're our featured speakers today. Sarah Luther and then also Nicole McCoy is in the hall there and um, Maggie Witt, our director or vice president of procurement is here as well, so thanks everybody. I just wanted to show you a couple things real quick and then we're gonna turn it over to the contracts team. So this is our procurement website um, and since last time, under support, we have added a page for talks. So whenever you need information about TED Talks, you can go right here. Um, Talks about joining it. Talks about completing our survey. Thank you all who who did complete the survey this last month. And um, we will have a new survey up again. I don't have it ready, but I'll do another one for this month. (laughs) And then we have um, our registration. The event details obviously will change each month. You can add it to your calendar, register, and then um, join us by Zoom, which a lot of you have already used, I believe. And also then if you want to watch the past Pet Talks. So um, here's the one from February, our initial kickoff. So I don't know, has anybody in the room watched that one or were you all here last month? <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, if you ever have to miss one, then you always know you can catch up with us. So again, thanks for everybody being here and come on up to the contracts team. <laughs>
1: I'm Julie Snyder, formerly known as Julie Dexter, kind of like Prince. I had a former name. Um, Anyway, um, I'm the Contracts Manager for Procurement Contracts, and um, we've put together um, a little show for you today that talks, um, hopefully, kind of to some of the survey questions that we got back. It was great to get the feedback that we... All right. So here um, are the three amigos, um, myself, Julie Snyder, um, Julie Hopp. And our newest member, um, Jessica Merhoff. Um, we are the contracts team. Julie works primarily on non-IT contracts. And Jessica's focus um, currently is with IT contracts. And I kind of work wherever I'm needed. So um, one of the things we'd like to draw your attention to, and I, I hate putting a lot of web addresses and links and PowerPoints kind of a moot point, but this is sort of an important one. So if you have a contract that you ha- need to have, it, have reviewed, if you'll send it to this email box, it will be attended to um, promptly. Um, all three of us have access to this email box. Um, Maggie has access to the email box. I think, Mickey, do you? So, if the three of us hit the Powerball tomorrow and we decide not to come in, those two can work from the email box. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so one of the big things I guess that we got, um, one of the big questions in the survey um, had to do with they didn't understand why why we had to go through this process. for signing contracts, for even reviewing contracts. Anybody heard of Signature Authority? I know most of you have because I've seen your faces. I know who you are. So you guys are the ones that are our star players within contracts. But did you know that Signature Authority isn't just some random thing that's been passed down? It's been decided by the Board of Regents that who gets to sign. It's delegated down from the top Board of Regents, to the chancellor, to the vice chancellor, and um, to the director of procurement, um, vice president of procurement, and then on down. Um, So very few folks within the university system have the authority to sign. We do see a lot of signatures going on, not so much anymore, but every now and then we will see um, the rogue accounting assistant or whoever who decides to rent the Quest Center over in Omaha for however many hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so we have to educate folks. Um, Expenditure contracts, which means contracts that are actually um, being paid out of a cost object, have to follow the decision tree. And I'll show you that in a minute. But all fee-for-service, so especially over in IANR, you folks probably have seen or deal with what we call revenue contracts where there's money actually coming in to a cost object as opposed to going out. All of those need to route through procurement, and all of them have to route to procurement for signature. There, there is no threshold by which folks can sign on incoming revenue. It all has to come through. Procurement and sometimes has to go up to the vice chancellor for signature. Most of the time, we can handle it. Questions? Okay. This is the lovely decision tree. This is out on our webpage. Um, and basically, I, you know, it's kind of small font, but I did want to just point out two, two things about this slide. So the diamonds are the decisions. And basically, if you're wanting to know about dollar amount or term, length of time of the contract, you should be able to find it here, which then will point you in the direction that you need to go based on dollar amount and length of time of the contract. So I'm not going to read through all of it. We'll look at the top one. It says, is the contract less than 5000 and less than one year? or one year and less? And if the answer is yes, then your department head or chair can sign. Now, just because your department head or chair can sign doesn't mean that we wouldn't take a look at it if you didn't want us to. So sometimes folks will get maybe, you know, a 10 or 15 or 30 or like Maggie and I've been looking at the last couple of weeks, the box contract, which was 147 pages or something like that. And you don't, really know what you're looking for, you can send it to us, and we will review it. Okay, so I wanted to just show, because there's been some confusion, I think, in the past. And we haven't done a training session in a while, so the time has come. Um, I don't know why those blue marks are on there, but that's okay. So this is kind of, this is a workflow. up at the top round um, little shape, it says contract template selected and completed. So somebody comes to you and says, we want to enter into a contract with XYZ company. And you, your first job is going to try to get them to use our paper. So you're going to select the contract template. Julie's going to talk about templates in a little bit. But in this case, let's just make it simple and say that we're going to spend money on a contract. Okay. So you pick the template out of the box account. um, And we always wanna use the box account because contract standard language changes from time to time, sometimes more often than others. That way you'll have the most current version. You're going to complete the template and then you're gonna send it to that that, um, Outlook email box that we talked about earlier for um, contracts to review. Now here's a decision. Here's where we have our first crossroads. Either everything looks great and procurement can approve it and we can get signature on it, or maybe there are some edits that are required. And this is going to happen more often if we're using the supplier's paper instead of ours. So negotiation may need to start. And one of the things that I would like to stress is that if we can, if we, meaning procurement contracts, is given the opportunity and is provided with um, the names of the folks that are in the suppliers um, side that we can work with to negotiate and do these edits and that will make things flow a little smoother and a little faster generally speaking. So the edits would be required and then once the edits and the negotiation is complete then we both end up down here where it gets routed in DocuSign for signature. People familiar with DocuSign, folks have seen it. It is very slick. It's nice because you can set it all up so that once the last signature is done, everybody that needs a copy of that uh, signed contract will have it. Um, The next step, and Julie's gonna talk about this in a little bit too, is expenditure contracts need to be uploaded to the state's website per LB 429 Uh, Revenue contracts do not need to be uploaded, but expenditure ones do. And then here's the biggie. Work can begin. Get the contract signed and done before the work starts. You know, it doesn't always happen that way, but that's the ultimate goal. All right. So put your contract on the fast track. Include us from the very beginning. So if you kind of wait until... Say, for example, oh, I don't know, the work ended last week, but you got the invoice and you need to pay it. That's not the optimum way to do business. I think everybody in here would agree. And I know that most of you don't, that's not usually resting on your shoulders to make that call. Um, But anyway, if you include us from the start, then we can help you to do the best um, work and get the most bang for your buck out of your contract. Um, Use the procurement. Outlook email box, if you use the approved templates and you complete them um, before you send them to us, then we won't have to back and forth and that will streamline the process and make it a little quicker too. And with with your um, contract templates, or even if you're using the supplier's paper, please include all of the pertinent documents, the scope of work, maybe a certificate of insurance, signature pages, whatever it is that you've got, terms and conditions that the supplier might require. Um, Because one of the things that I wanna stress is that when we are looking at these contracts and reviewing them, we're assessing a couple of really important things. And one is the risk that it is going to put the university in the position of. That has to do with dollar amount. That has to do with a lot of different things, but it could be, um, Jessica's very well versed in this IT stuff, anything that touches our system. You know, we want to be able to be sure that when we get that contract document done, that we're in a good partnership with our supplier and that everybody's happy, the risk is minimal, and the um, benefits are great. So, um, quotes, scope of work, In some cases, if you have a purchase requisition number, that's important to include as well. Does anybody have any questions yet? Okay. All right. Oh, no. Yes. Yes. All right, so a question that we had from
2: online is, when using the supplier's contract, is the Board of Regents addendum always required?
1: It, it's not always required, but we use it as often as we possibly can because it has the required language in there that, that general counsel legal has um, written up for us and um, it is negotiable um however it's it's good cover for basic terms and conditions our relationship the relationship between the supplier or the outside source and us so it's yes maggie
2: i think there are some terms within there that may not be negotiable yes okay
1: i'd like to clarify that. yeah there are terms in there that are non-negotiable but there are terms in there that we can negotiate. It's kind of interesting, though. I think probably the majority of times that we put that little addendum on a contract, for whatever reason, most suppliers are okay with it as is. And we'll take that and run with it because it says right at the top that our terms rule. (laughs) Maybe they're not reading it. I don't know. Okay, let's see if this thing will work. There we go. All right, so we talked a little bit about templates and I'm going to turn this over to Julie Hopp and she's going to visit with you a little bit more.
2: (laughs) Um, In some cases it's pretty obvious when you need a contract. So are there any set rules on like when you definitely need a contract for some vendors? Like I had someone ask me Um, that, okay, they're going to have some analysis done, really don't know the total price. So when are they going to need to, like, request that contract? I
1: I am so glad you asked that because it totally slipped my mind. I was telling these ladies this morning, we're so close to this that sometimes we forget all of the little nuances and questions about it. So the question was, when do we need to contract? And the answer is, when the supplier won't take a purchase order. Because you think of what a purchase order is, it is a contract. It is also tying whoever accepts the PO to the terms and conditions of the Board of Regents. So if they'll take a PO, great. Mm-hmm. That's a
2: great answer, Julie. And I I like to restress that, that everyone understands here. I'm pretty sure that you're all power users, that POs are contracts. But another gauge for, especially if you're power users, of when is a contract essential? You mentioned something that perhaps they don't know the cost yet or the total final price or anything else. The contract can be the master relationship guide. If you'll notice like the addendum and a lot of the terms that are in the template, those just govern the terms of how we relate with that organization. So what you're negotiating with them is a statement of work for their services. And the statement of work is really kind of an attachment to, as you know, when you look at the addendum, it's a a description of services. So, you know, that empowers you in a way to say that statement of work, it can be attached to a purchase order, or perhaps you want a little bit more protection and you feel that the the contract provides you a little bit more of a framework for that relationship. So use your judgment, but Julie's exactly right. You'll never fail if you attach that to a PO as a part of that. It's just sometimes you're gonna get a a little bit more meat around the relationship.
1: Okay, and then Sarah just got a question. This is awesome. So we can use the PO instead of a contract. You can. And it's like Maggie was talking about. We want to think about it in terms of how we want to do business. So just like I was mentioning earlier, if there is a fairly large um, risk maybe associated with, with money. Okay, so maybe we're gonna pay this company a great deal of money to do something. They're like, oh, we'll take your PO. What are, what are a couple of things that you think might be critical if they will accept a purchase order without a contract? What would be critical to define and, and keep everything on the level playing field? So your scope of work, right? Your deliverables. Yep, payment schedule, yep, how they expect to be paid, how often they expect to be paid, great. See, you guys all know this stuff. So you just wanna make sure that if they they think that, hey, they're gonna just pay us with the PO, great, but we still need to have very definite outline of how work is gonna go. And that really goes for anything regardless of dollar amount. I mean, we have to be good stewards of the state's money Sometimes I think about it and I'm like, I'm paying my own salary because I'm a taxpayer here in the state of Nebraska. So you want to think about how you would deal with your own purse strings um, when it comes to dealing with contracts and what we purchase. Anything else? Okay. Yes. In
2: the very beginning, you talked about, and the first of the presentation, you talked about cost objects.
1: This applies to WBSs as well. Yes, we are WBSs. Probably have a few more nuances than I know anything about, but in general, when we're spending money on behalf of the Board of Regents, because that's what we're doing, when we're spending money out of a cost object or out of a WBS. We have been given, pretend like I am putting you as my POA and giving you my checkbook. We are spending money that's not ours, it's not the PI's, it's not the department's, it belongs to the Board of Regents, and we have to think of it in terms of state funding. But it's being spent out of the university's checkbook. Okay.
0: Could you elaborate, like? for a visiting personnel, if they're gonna be speaking, if that needs a contract?
1: That's one that we get all the time. Um, that one is kind of case by case, depending upon um, what you're doing. I, th- I think, What's been decided is if they're going to come here, they're going to do a half a day workshop. It's not going to cost a great deal of money. We are going to need a certificate of insurance probably since they're going to be working on our campus. But it can be done with visiting personnel, from what I understand. Um, Accounting is okay with that. I think um, there has been some back and forth about that. but. The visiting personnel form, for the most part, we don't get much pushback from accounting on it. Yeah, that's a good question. Anything else? Wow, I love this interaction. Sure.
3: So um, visiting personnel needs to
0: have an insurance certificate if they're just, like, working with a class and then giving a talk in the evening and not like we're not in a lab or anything like that, um, would you still
2: need insurance for that?
1: Here's what I would do. I would contact risk management, which is Gail Shanow, okay? And explain to her and let her make the call. Because ultimately she's the person that's going to be um, dealing with any kind of insurance claim or anything that would happen. And that way, I mean, I guess one of the other things, and we're gonna talk about this a little bit later too, Think of this in term, in any any of these scenarios that we're talking about now, think of it in terms of defending it, okay? In case of an audit, keep us out of the news, but also, you know, do our due diligence and think about, okay, so does this seem like an ethical way to do business? Or is there a way that I can document and support what I'm trying to, to achieve here? Um, and if in doubt, you can call us you know, just when you think you've seen it all, something else comes through the email and, you know, I mean, people that say to me, oh my God, how boring your job, you look at contracts all day and I'm like, you have no idea it is not at all. So, um, but just think of it in terms of how that's going to look in a paper trail. Or think of it in terms of a year and a half down the road, the auditors come to your office and they're gonna want you to recall why you did something a certain way or why you didn't do something a certain way. It's always easier to have that documentation on your side because my memory's not that great. Maybe yours is, but okay, here we go. So templates
4: and How many of you have access to our box folder or to the IANR box folder where the templates reside? Great, great. Don't, please don't download that to your desktop. You're like, okay, I'm just gonna download this, put this on my desktop and I'm ready to go. Because tomorrow we could get general counsel saying, There's a new state law, the legislature's in session, they just passed it, it's got an emergency clause, boom, contract changes. And then when we get that from you, if we see it is not the most current pre-approved template, we've gotta go back to you and say, hey, could you please move all your information onto the new template? So please go to the box folder, get a new one, their word documents should be reasonably easy to fill in. One of the places that I have found some people, none of those in this room or on the Zoom call, but some people miss university department. And with us being as large as we are, I might know your name and even if I look you up in the directory, you might be responsible for more than one department or two or three or four. I need the department And we need to know who your service provider is, their address, contract total dollar amount. It does not have to be the exact dollar amount, but that is how we're gonna determine signature authority is the dollar amount. And if I don't have a good idea on that, I might have the wrong person sign. We need a start date and we get very uncomfortable and may send it back to you if the start date is already done and you're just saying, I need this contract so I can pay them. We need a term end date so that we know and the supplier knows this is when the work needs to be done. We can amend contracts to extend dates, increase dollars, but we need to know where we're starting. All of this information, this helps us in contracts know who your person is you're working with. And if we do need to negotiate directly with them, what we'll do is we will email them, but we'll always copy and keep you in the loop. And then here, this is probably going to be the person who's maybe involved in the project, but this is going to be who's going to upload the contract, or who's going to pay the invoices, or just to give everybody on there the information they need on who to get a hold of. Signatures, this department head approval is not a required signature, but we do have some departments who want it. So if you ever want that signature to be in there, you just need to let us know. We can send in DocuSign and get all, all of the signatures. This is how we start out standardized. The terms that are on the following two pages are pre-approved by legal, and that's why they change sometimes. It just, it puts everything, and especially everything you need to know when you upload it to contract manager or to the Nebraska contract system is all on the front page. So that is That gives you compliance and that gives you answers to most of your questions. Are there more questions? Okay. So we have two templates to choose from. There's the standard agreement when you have an expenditure and there's a fee for service agreement when you're bringing revenue into the university. We also referenced the addendum with required language. That document goes with an expenditure. There is no addendum with required language if we we were in a position of using supplier paper for a fee for service, for bringing in revenue. We would not have standard additional terms for that. That would be negotiated. Are there questions?
2: Um, did you mention on Did you mention on the forum that you don't want the vendors to sign first, because then if they do, usually send it back. <laughs> and then one question: When you send back the completed contract, all signed, um, do you also send it to the PI? Because a lot of times they just see my name. So I'm not sure if you already sent it to the PI or if I have to forward that to the PI. Because we don't always know or remember,
4: if your first email to us or when we are ready for signatures, you say, okay, would you put this in DocuSign? If you just say, please copy the PI, the supplier, me, the department head, if you just tell us, we will put each person in the routing in within DocuSign. And we do prefer that we have looked at the contract before the supplier signs it, just because they may sign it and ask for a change, and then we're going to have to go back to them and say, could you initial this change, or we need you to sign again. So we don't we don't want them to sign immediately. Other questions? Jessica is going to talk about one of our newer clauses that was recently within the last year added by general counsel.
3: So you may have noticed some new sections in the template. One of those is the right to audit language. Within the last year, internal audit and legal have worked together to provide us with this section. This section talks about the fact that the university must be able to audit suppliers. Why do we do that? Here are the reasons. The purpose of an audit is to ensure transparency, that the vendor is performing according to the agreement, that the vendor is charging appropriately for goods or services. So when you're looking at your invoices, you wanna make sure that it's matching up. The conformance to ITS security practices, compliance with state and federal laws, compliance with Board of Regents policies, and we can identify opportunities for process improvements. Uh, If you have any questions about the Board of Regents policies, that is on the UNL website. There are uh, also some information on our website as well, the procurement website.
2: Um, I just wanted to add a comment for the group too. Um, Jessica's, you know, identified seven really critical aspects here. The thing for our suppliers to remember, along with that, is if anybody ever questions this this clause, the key is: is they're a supplier to the University of Nebraska. If we get audited as a supplier, they have to be obligated to the same. Terms. So it's really one of those things where they need to understand that up front as a result of doing business with the university. So, again, if you ever get questioned on something like that, you know, you can sure pull out these kinds of things. But I think your first statement is, do you want to work with the University of Nebraska? Um, because these are things that we're held accountable to. So, if you ever need help in those discussions, please let us know. Um, we, can, we can help them understand how this fits into the big picture. Wanna make sure, cause those seven bullets are really great, but they're frankly non-negotiable. Thanks.
3: Let's talk about the route to legal. Your fastest route to legal is via procurement. Not every contract will need legal review, however. In fact, procurement has a lot of experience with negotiation. We can do a lot of negotiation up front, which may mean legal review is not necessary. If legal does need to get involved, it can prolong the process prior to obtaining the signature. So you'll want to keep that in mind. Reasons procurement will consult legal. It's a high-risk contract. The Board of Regents approval is necessary, or it could be board reportable. If you have questions on those two items, there are, there's information on the procurement website about that as well. The third reason could be that we've reached a stalemate with the supplier. This is what extends the process. If we get into intense negotiations with suppliers, we'll have to schedule discussions with the suppliers' legal
4: and our legal representatives. I'm sorry. Thanks. So this is a test. What's LB429? It's that oh very good you read ahead <laughs> thank you Todd <laughs> it's a Nebraska statute that means it's a law for taxpayer transparency that means if we have an expenditure contract for one cent or more please don't ask us to write contracts for one cent cent. We're at least two They must be uploaded to the state of Nebraska to be compliant. It's a law, end of discussion. Questions? So, you're gonna upload contracts to the state of Nebraska, or we are in procurement services. Nebraska Contract Management System, if you don't have access to it, there's a link to sign up on our website, or if you do have access, there's a link to access the system on our website. So who uploads the contract? If we sign it, if we process it for signature, we upload the contract. If your department signs, generally the ones under $5,000 and a year or less, then your department is responsible to upload. I wanted to give everybody a I love compliance sticker, but it wasn't in the budget. But anyhow, you love being compliant. Are there questions? We have referenced it, but we have a shared email box. This is how the three of us cover for each other, and when we win the Powerball, how Maggie and Mickey will pick up. So if you send the contracts to our shared folder, Jessica will see them, I will see them, Julie will see them, and we'll know where they're going. We have also found occasionally we might get a contract that comes to us with the subject line, university contract. When I lose that contract, okay, I'm being honest, when I am searching through my email folder for your contract, if it says university contract, I'm in trouble. If you put your supplier name and even your department name in the subject line, I'm golden, I will be able to put everything, the whole email chain in one place and it, it speeds my process tremendously. When you send us, if you have a quote, a proposal that you're referencing in the standard agreement, attach all of that on the email. And if we don't need something, that's okay. Let us know what information you have and then we won't come back additional times and ask for it. Are there questions about the process of the shared folder?
2: Oh, okay. So, question is, I think I've been uploading all my contracts, even the ones that are signed by you. Do I need to delete the duplicate? In Nebraska
4: contract system, that may not be possible. They may have gone to the state and they may be there twice. Ah, I'm saved.
1: You can delete them if you'd like. Um, what happens is the upload actually happens weekly, supposedly. Um, and instead of just uploading new stuff, it dumps the entire file and uploads a whole new file. So if you go back in and you mark something for um, buyer only or not for public, or you can, I think you can even delete them, um, it may take a few days before you're not seeing it out there. But yeah, you you can do that. So if you use contract management system, same thing. It's just, it's time sensitive because it's kind of, it's kind of not the most smooth um, process, but eventually it will go away. <laughs> and we, what we found out too is um, a lot of time the state's upload isn't working. That's happened for like weeks on end. So but we we aren't typically notified of that. So,
2: I have a question about redaction. When and how does that happen?
1: Well, redaction is, should happen um, if you have personal information. So say you have somebody's social security number. So a prime example is if you're dealing with somebody who's coming to do a workshop and they're not maybe a corporation or an LLC or anything, and they just use their social security number or they use their home phone or they use their personal home address, those things really should be redacted. Okay, those should be redacted before we upload to the state. Um, In DocuSign, we're doing less and less redaction because the signatures are extremely secure. I mean, I've actually tried to break it. I've downloaded um, documents to my desktop, saved them in different manners, tried to to make them um, editable. I can't get it to work now that's not i'm not very high tech so i suppose there are people out there that could make that work Um, but because those signatures are not actual hand signatures of somebody we have not been redacting those if they go through docusign now if you are getting something signed on the department side that you're just getting your department head or chair to sign and then the other entity to sign and um, then you're wanting to upload it to the state because it's less than $5,000 or whatever. You're gonna need to be sure that you do your due diligence and redact those. We all know um, with all of the cyber scamming that's going on now, we gotta be really careful of each other's um, personal information and security. Um, the easiest way to redact is, is having your IT folks um, set you up with Adobe Pro. And if you need help with that, they and they can't help you, we can certainly do something to give you a hand. One thing I wanted to remind everybody, if you have
0: like a new student worker or a new employee who wants to be in the contract management to upload contracts to the state, we cannot approve them as a user unless they have a UNL email address. We won't approve any Gmails or
1: anything like that, so. Anything else? Yes.
0: Uh, a question regarding a kind of contract and whether contracts necessary. We recently hired some independent contractors, some writers at Sheldon, to do some writing for us. We wanted to ensure that we had copyright to their material and to use it however we wanted. It's a pretty low value. Would a PO suffice in that instance, or should? Uh, <laughs> You're
2: talking about intellectual property. I don't care about the value, the residual value to the university. You you already answered your own question with your head nodding. I would write a contract. I would write a contract. Well, and the PO covers, if you want to know what the PO covers, you can go out to the nebraska.edu website and look up purchase terms and conditions. Uh, you know, a purchase order, if you think about it, it's just a blank contract template too. With anything you add, in the text field that says, I'm gonna buy, if you're buying office supplies and you pick something out of a shopping cart and drop it on there, it's gonna say what you're buying. If you're buying a service from a supplier and you write that text in that text field, that's what you're purchasing. The face of the PO, along with the terms and conditions of the university that are embedded within our our standard T's and C's, those combined together, on a purchase order encompass what you're agreeing to so let's just this could go on forever about the battle of terms and conditions but especially when it comes to intellectual property i would guide you especially in the fine arts area because you're talking to a couple of artists here too i would protect ourselves because regardless of what you consider high or low purchase value that's a pretty significant acquisition so i wouldn't i wouldn't feel comfortable with it I, I would go with something additional.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to thank everybody very much for um, coming out today and for all of your good interaction and discussion. This is this is how we learn. This is this is how we need to go forward. Um, when we get the opportunity to do this again, I would certainly encourage you to. Bring your friends and family because the more the merrier and there's no stupid questions honestly um and you guys work from such diverse areas out there i mean we're just talking about copyright on on uh, art and i know pat for one she works for um department of um, school of natural resources so i mean the gambit is is vast and so there are no dumb questions um and there are a lot of circumstances that require a question that you're not going to get from a piece of paper that you're gonna sometimes you're just gonna have to get from somebody who's beat their head against the wall a few times on this stuff. Scott.
0: Just a
3: quick question too. Um P card purchases, those are considered contracts as well, correct? Even though they are potentially less than five (laughs) thousand dollars. Sorry. That's okay. Okay. I know
2: nothing about that. So great questions. What a Power user group we have here. Um, P cards are a contractual agreement because we have an agreement with our merchants in the form of the P card agreement. So if you really want to get down to brass tacks, there's a P card agreement that the university has. You you've got one if you use the P card or if your department has one. So technically, it is it's a contract. Every anytime you are exchanging funds and services with anyone and using a vehicle of some sort purchase order check handshake <laughs> technically legally handshake agreements can and have been proven to stand up in court of law so the, the language of contracts is a broad world, as you've learned, and you're learning now here, which is part of the reason why we want to drive you to standards. But yes, there are terms tied to a P-card transaction. So we also have our own policies around those, um, you know, like limits on P-cards themselves and, you know, some of the other protections we get. But you know what? That's actually a good topic for us to bring up. I think what we had a request for, I know we might be running out of time, but we've had a request for a round two on contracts. So we'll be back again. And I think it might be a good idea if you all fill out the survey following this. So if you have more questions, so we can have more content. I, what an interactive session. This is great. Fantastic. Thank you. One more question. What is the Board of Regents Addendum that was referred to earlier? Is it on the website? The addendum with
4: required language is for expenditure contracts that we are using the suppliers paper and that is available in the box folder, IANR has their own box folder for their staff, where our documents are uploaded. If you are non-ANR staff and you don't have access to the box folder, just email the procurement contracts and we will get you access to the university templates folder for the standard agreement, the addendum with required language and the fee for service for revenue generating contracts. Thank you very much, all of you who are here and all of you who are with us in Zoom.